our whole society is built on us having things and buying things that we can't afford. I don't own my car. I don't own my house. The bank does. But if I can't afford my dog's cancer treatments, which are out of nowhere most of the time, I feel really extra bad about that. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Hello, friend. Finances are one of the most difficult pieces of the dog cancer journey. Most of us have limited money to spend, even on someone as important as our dog. And cancer treatment and even just the diagnosis is often an expensive process. So today on Dog Cancer Answers, we're joined by Dr. Lauren Barrow. She's a veterinarian in Colorado who has a really compassionate strategy for talking about money with her clients and helping them navigate these difficult decisions. Her knowledge comes not just from her experience as a veterinarian, but from a very personal part of her own life. So Dr. Barrow, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This should be fun. (laughs) I think so. Before we started, you mentioned that you're sometimes known as Dr. Mom, (laughs) and you are literally coming to us from a place where you are a doctor and a mom. And so tell me where where you're recording from today, because you're not where most people probably imagine you are. Yeah, I did not plan on being here today for this. Um, About, I guess, 10 days ago, my son, who is medically fragile, and he has a lot of medical problems secondary to a brain tumor from when he was a baby, he started in with a bloody nose on, what was that, Friday 12th or something like that? About 10 days ago. And he started having a nosebleed and it wouldn't stop. I was actually at work, but my husband and his nurse brought him into the emergency room and um, they got his nose to bleed, but he started having seizures and it turned out he was bleeding inside of his brain as well. So he has a shunt from some previous medical work with his brain. So they got in there last week and repaired it. So now he's currently intimated on the ventilator. They're doing one more MRI and then if everything looks okay, they're going to go ahead and extubate him today. So we're just doing that thing that we do sometimes where we live our lives in the hospital. And we've done that for about six years with him. But, you know, he's my little buddy and we work hard for him. But it's uh, it makes me have a personal relationship with cancer because this all started with cancer. And so from personal standpoint and a mother standpoint... And even a medical standpoint, because I I know what they're talking about when they're, you know, talking to each other about his stuff. I hate cancer. I want it to stop. <laughs> because it's it's just, it changes things. And it's an emotional thing and it affects the whole family. So right, that's the personal part of cancer with me. And it's an everyday thing in my house with people and dogs. <laughs> that's why I wanted to start there, because I think it's important that our listeners know that the reason you're here is not just because you're a veterinarian, which you are, you're a very good veterinarian. Oh, thank you. But you also are someone who really understands what it's like to care for a helpless creature who has cancer, not just a dog, but your own son. And you also understand the topic of today's talk where we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about finances from the client's point of view. Like mm-hmm. if I'm treating cancer, what are my concerns and what am I thinking about budget and how do I finance it? But we're also going to talk about it from your point of view on the other side of the table. And you are literally uniquely qualified to talk about this because you understand as 
not just a pet parent, but a human parent, all of the factors that go into this. So you tell me. Unfortunately, that's right. Yeah. Where do you want to start? What's the most important thing for our listeners to know? Honestly, I think the most important thing is to give yourself some grace, Hmm. whether that's because your dog got cancer and I've had people try to blame themselves. You know, like, did I feed them the wrong food? Did I gave them tap water instead of filtered water or, you know, whatever that may be. Or sometimes they'll blame others, but people blame themselves a lot. And then when you add finances on top of that, now you're doubly blaming yourself. And I think sometimes social media and our society play into that. But also you got to give yourself a break because it's really hard and you love your dog or you wouldn't be listening to this. You know, and it's like, I love my kid. I love my dogs too, but you are affected also. And you have to, I think as a veterinarian, I've gotten really good at compartmentalizing things with my son, things with work, things with my other kids or husband or whatever. But you, you really have to stop and realize I can't control everything. I can't fix everything. And also it's not all your fault. It's not my fault. And all you can do is the best you can do. And sometimes it's one day at a time. If you can start with that, you can get up every time you fall down and just sort of one foot in front of the other. I think that's the biggest thing, which doesn't have a lot to do with money, but give yourself a break and do the best you can. Some grace. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I wanted to pick up on something you said about there's all of the self-blame about the fact of cancer having come into the family and into your dog or your child to begin with. Then there's all of this blame that has to do with, I mean, a lot of us suffer from financial shame, really. I mean, I grew up in a family where we weren't destitute, but we did not have the money that other people in our town had. And sometimes there were moments of food insecurity. And it was looking back, I realized how much of a knife's edge we were on more than I understood as a child. And I think about all of the things that I internalize from that, I have a lot of financial shame. If I can't afford something, there's something wrong with me. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that from your own perspective? Well, I started out that way too. Um, when I had my daughter, I remember we we had one car. So my husband would go to work and I was home with her. And this was before vet school, but I pushed her in the stroller down to King Supers and I had a $20 bill and I would added up in my head, I knew how much diapers and food and stuff I could get with that $20 bill. And then we walked home and I had two dogs. (laughs) So I- That's a lot of responsibility. I was a vet assistant and stuff. So it was like, I loved animals. And I think it's sort of not fair to put that on people. I mean, in a perfect world and what everyone agrees with, I think, is that you shouldn't get a dog if you can't afford it. But I also think that realistically, that's not gonna happen. Maybe it should happen, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And our whole society is built on us having things and buying things that we can't afford. I don't <laughs> own my true. I don't own my car. I don't own my house. Right. The bank does, but if I can't afford my dog's cancer treatments, which are out of nowhere most of the time, I feel really extra bad about that. And that's because there's emotional things attached to that. But I guess what I'm saying is in a perfect world, yes, don't get a car, don't get a dog, don't have children, don't do anything, don't go on vacation, don't get a credit card, don't 
do anything unless you can afford it. And you do have a child or a dog or something with, that has pain and a life that you're in charge of. But there's things you can still do because a lot of people will find themselves in that situation. I was actually doing some reading and I found that it depends on what source you find and what year. But I think approximately half of the households in the United States have at least one dog. Yep. And then if you add in cats and stuff, it's, it goes way up. Mm-hmm. But I found the statistic about 69% of adult Americans have less than $1,000 in their bank account and their savings account. That's right. And that is a lot of overlap. Right. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you have a chance to go back in time or your dog doesn't have cancer yet, go start a savings account or get insurance or something. But if you're listening to this, you're probably already in that situation So you can't do anything but give yourself grace and go forward. Right. Because it is what it is and crappy things happen. And now we look forward and we deal and we pick ourselves up and we do what we can for our dog because we love him. Right. I agree with you. This is what the message from society is. Well, if you can't afford it, don't get it. On the other hand, there are people who, I mean, I can think of four people in my neighborhood who, if they did not have their dog, they would be alone all the time. They would be lonely. Like I am lonely without my dogs, right? Like I've lost two dogs in the last year. We're currently a dogless household. I'm lonely. Yeah. That's a good reason to give a dog who needs and wants companionship as well a home, even if it's not the perfect home. Sure. Right. So you're saying basically, hey, the world isn't perfect. Yeah. And that's okay. Let's do our best. What do you say? Nobody's perfect, and there's a whole lot of room to be good and helpful and not be perfect, and that includes money. Right. So let me ask you a question that it might sound challenging to you as a veterinarian. Are you just out to get my money? Do you just want to treat my dog's cancer because it'll make you money? Like, how much money are vets actually making off of cancer treatments? Right. Because this is something I hear all the time. Are vets be millionaires? Are they all making a ton of money? And are they charging us over? Yeah. So the first thing that will pop into any veterinarian's mind is those darn student loans, which is a major hot topic right now that I am not going to touch because everyone's all crazy about it. But vet school is super expensive and you can't... No, that's not true. Most people need to take out loans to go to vet school. Okay. I have a pretty smart friend who joined the army and the army paid for it. But a lot of times, a lot of us have student loans that are huge. Like what's huge? What are the student loans? Mine's in the mid 250s. Oh my word. Yeah. So it's like going to medical school. Oh yeah, it is. Only I promise I'm not getting it paid as much as those doctors. Mm-hmm. And in this country too, we don't have the insurance system. You know, people pay out of pocket. But we have a lot of the same technology, equipment, a lot of the same things that we use with human medicine, too. So You mean like x-ray machines and CAT scans and ultrasounds? The x-ray machines and gloves and the electric bill and you got to pay your staff. And that's a whole nother thing is that we don't pay our technicians and assistants nearly enough either. They're the front lines here doing all, all the hard work and they get paid peanuts. So we're almost all of us, I'd say, if not all of us, in it for the love of animals. Mm-hmm. If if we were in it for the money, I would have gone to medical school. 
sometimes I wonder why didn't I just go to medical school? I could like boss the PICU team around here for my son, but I'm <laughs> I'm doing it because I, I love the animals. And if you break down the bills of it, which I don't want to bore anybody with, and honestly, I do my best to just ignore that because I'm I'm not the boss at my place. I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. It's upside down a little bit, and it's very hurtful when it's very hurtful when people accuse us of of looking for money and. That's the farthest from any of our minds. I mean, we got to feed our kids. We got to, we have to get the same gas that you do. We go to the store and buy groceries too. So it's our job, but it's also a job that we picked that we worked really hard on for a really long time. And a lot of us paid a lot of money to do that. And I'm not complaining. I chose this way and it's a good gig. I'm happy I did it, but I do wish people would kind of back off. Also, we need grace. We're doing our best also. Mm-hmm. We're humans. And there's there's a lot of problems with suicide and things with veterinarians. And, and that's a whole nother subject. But just give yourself grace. Give us grace. That would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes to Not One More Vet, which our friend Katie Berlin, who is on the show frequently, started, which is the suicide help. They're amazing. Because it's a real problem for veterinarians. It really is. I don't want to talk too much about that, but can you just tell me a little bit about like what goes through your mind when you're giving a cancer diagnosis? Like, How is that for you as a human being and a veterinarian to tell someone about their dog's cancer? It's really hard. And I feel a lot of responsibility for that because from a personal standpoint, I remember the exact second that they told me about my son's brain tumor. Mm. And that moment was seven years ago and it's ingrained forever. And so I'm giving essentially that moment to these people. I'd say at least half the time it's a surprise. They just came in for vaccines or something or, and I found like big nodes or, and it's a bomb on their head. So I take a lot of time to choose my words carefully give them some space to kind of think about it, ask them if they have any questions yet, and just kind of, I guess, show my my empathy and my hurt about it too. As I get that, like way deep, how that just, it's a moment. And I don't like being the one to give that to them, but I also want to take the responsibility to do it as kindly and forthrightly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I try to be realistic and optimistic and just like, hey, this sucks so much and I get it, but we're going to we're going to move forward and we're going to make a plan and we're going to, again, do our best. And that's sort of how I approach it, especially lately. So how does money usually come up? Because I imagine it comes up pretty quickly most of the time, right? Yeah, it does. And a lot of it is because... I think a lot of people already kind of are are worried about how much a vet bill is just period. Yeah. Just because it's it's out of pocket for most people. And so that's a something that they're saving up for, or they just know like every February they have to do vaccines. So to hear, oh my God, my dog has cancer, a lot of people go to finances fairly quickly. Maybe the first thing, maybe after my dog's gonna die, is it hurting? You know, and then how am I gonna pay for this? So I always start with the approach of if they bring up the money thing, I won't bring up the money thing. They almost always do first because 
we'll get to that. If they need to process the the bomb I just dropped on their lives, then we should do that first. But if they bring up the money, then I don't have any money means a lot of different things to different people. Mm-hmm. You know, to some people, they've said that to me and then they go and they they scrape up a couple thousand bucks pretty fast. And some people, I don't have any money means I was going to put today's appointment on a credit card and then I was going to go to the food bank after this and I have to walk there because I don't have a car. You know, and there's everything in between, but there's a whole wide variety. So I will usually, and I do this with other diagnoses too, but cancer's sort of that special, you hear cancer and it stabs you in the heart yeah. no matter what you're talking about. True. I will usually start with the, we have a range of what we can do here, you know, and at one end is if you can go to the oncologist, I think you should. And if they're worried about money, they'll always ask me how much that is. And I don't always know exactly because it depends on the cancer and what they want to do. But if you can go to the oncologist, they are the ones that are going to know what the different options are for treatment. They can confirm my diagnosis because sometimes I haven't done much more than this, you know, mm-hmm. touching lymph nodes. So they can confirm diagnosis. They can stage, which is find out where else it is. They can let you know if there's trials. Sometimes there's trials. Here where I am in Colorado, we're pretty close to Colorado State University and they have a pretty big cancer vet school. They're amazing, mm-hmm. but they have trials all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you can go to the oncologist, I always encourage people to try that and don't say no yet. Sleep on it. You know, call them, see what the appointment schedule looks like. You don't have to do everything they say. They can also present kind of a, a range of options like I'm doing right now. It's not all or nothing. It's not sell your house. Go see what they have to say. And if you can't do it or you don't want to, because sometimes it's not even money, you know, sometimes it's it's other factors, mm-hmm. then come back to me and we're going to figure this out and we'll talk about what we need to do. But that's number one. If you can, go do that. And then I just sort of go down from there. Just pretty much depends on what kind of cancer we're talking about, how far along we are, and their budget and you know, where are they with their lives too? Because it's a very personal decision. It's extremely personal. Does knowing their budget, like literally having a hard number to work with, does that help you help them make treatment decisions? To some extent. I think a lot of people don't have that number. And if they do, I found that it changes. You know, like the uh, early 20s kid that's like, actually, I just called my mom and she's going to help me. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people that changes. But to have a number to start with is good. I work in a day practice clinic. We've got the basic stuff. I don't have an MRI. I don't have an orthopedic surgeon. I don't have an oncologist. I have an oxygen machine. I have basic blood work and an x-ray machine. And we just got an ultrasound that we're working on learning how to use. And then I've got drugs. I've got access to drugs, <laughs> you know, the steroids and things. So you almost can't, you know, spend too much money at my clinic. The oncologists have the fancy cool stuff. So let's say you've got 20 bucks. All right, that'll get you some steroids right there. And if you got a couple hundred, then if it's this kind of cancer, it might be worth it to get them x-rays, make sure it hasn't spread. If it's that kind of cancer, it might be worth it to do a mass removal even if we can't send it in, you know, it, de- it depends, totally depends. But a place to start is helpful. Mm-hmm. That's a good place for us to take a break. So 
Hold on while we pay the meter, and then when we come back, I want to continue our discussion. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. It infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful 
such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year's subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. And we're back with Dr. Barrow, Dr. Lauren Barrow, Dr. Lauren, Dr. Mom. I think when you first get the diagnosis, the shock overtakes people. They often kind of check out for the rest of that. Like they can't really think. It's the second or it's the next day. It's the second appointment or in the middle of the night, their brain kicks back into gear and they're able to start thinking about these things. If that's happening to a listener where they've gotten over the initial shock and now they're able to formulate some questions, what is the best way for them to approach their vet? Should they make another appointment? Should they call and say, can I send an email with a lot of questions that I have? Like, what do you suggest for our listeners in terms of handling this topic of money without, I guess, without shame, like how to offer themselves grace? in those next steps once they're over the shock. Yeah, because I, I think you're right. I think people, yeah, they freak out. A lot of people will kind of shut down and, oh my God, this is awful. And they need to talk to their family. They need to go home. They need to sleep on it. And so I will encourage them to do that. And I've said that before. I know I just dropped a bomb on your head and you need to process this. So I have learned over the years to send them with some articles mm-hmm. and some places to go read mm-hmm. and give them permission to not make any decisions right now. Hmm. Here's the number for the oncologist if you and your family tonight or tomorrow decide to do that. But I think as far as what to do with your with your own vet, I think it depends on the vet. Like for me, I'm a very email-oriented person. And so I'm more than happy to have them send me um, whatever questions they have, especially after they're reading articles and, you know, have all of these different things. So And I like that too, because then you can copy and paste it, put it in the file. Someone else can read it if they need to. I can send them more articles about different things. So I like email. I also tend to be like super busy and where all of us are overbooked. So some vets might prefer an appointment and it might be hard to get one. Sometimes that's more respectful of their time. I know some other vets that like the phone and they hate the email and they'll, they'll say, Hey, let me know when I can call you. So I think it depends on the vet, but if you ask me, I love the email. Copy and pasting is my favorite. <laughs> That's it. Helps me keep track of so many things in my life. So <laughs> right. Um, and sometimes also I think people process things better when they read them. Mm-hmm. Hearing things is a different part of your brain, you know, than reading sometimes. So hearing it from me, hearing it on the podcast, and then reading something, reading a blog, reading an article, and then asking questions based on that. I think that'll help you get around all of those mental blocks for money, for pain reasons, for you know, what is this technical term you're talking about? Like all of that stuff, money included. I recently talked to Dr. David Vale at the University of Wisconsin. 
an oncologist. He put it very simply. He said, your general practice vet is an excellent screener for cancer. And some of them see a lot of cancer and are in an area where there aren't referral oncologists. And so they can competently manage a cancer case, but they're not trained in the day-to-day management of oncology. So if you think of them as a screener, And the oncologist is a specialist, just like your own general practitioner is a screener. Like my doctor is not going to look at a mole that's suspicious and say, let me cut that out for you, right? Like she's going to say, go see a dermatologist. Right. Who might then refer me to an oncologist, (laughs) depending (laughs) on what they see, right? On down the line. Exactly. And that sort of, it's not a hierarchy. It's just what people are good at and what they're trained for. So my question is, given that you guys aren't always in the best position to assess all of the treatment options or even stage cancer. What is your advice for your colleagues who are giving this diagnosis so that they can be as sensitive as possible to those realities and also the fact that people are immediately starting to think about money? Yeah. And it's kind of that situation, like I was saying before, if you can involve an oncologist that's going to be your best bet. And you're right. Sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's they live out in boonies somewhere. Yeah. The one, one thing that's pretty cool about veterinary medicine, depending on how you look at it, is as a veterinarian, legally, I'm licensed to learn something new that maybe I didn't do before, <laughs> you know, with a, a different medication or something. Right. You know, so if any of my colleagues are ambitious enough to try and manage that beyond where they're already comfortable, then mm-hmm. there's awesome sources out there for education and CE and and things like that. And I think I think we all know that. And I think most of us are pretty secure in our limits and what we feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I haven't done surgery in a long time, but when I did do surgery, I was okay with amputations, but I wasn't okay with like a limb spare surgery. So, you know, ask your vet, my colleagues, like, where are your limits? What do you feel comfortable doing? And I may be going out on a limb a little bit, but I think we're all pretty good at managing pain, yes, managing other supportive care things. Like if you need fluids, if you need anti-emetics, anti-nausea medication, you know, those kind of things. So Mm -hmm. we screen it, But a lot of times they either come back to us. Mm -hmm. So like I do live in an urban area. So I work a lot with the oncologists and they have the fancy stuff over there. But then when they just need a CBC, you know, blood test or something or x-rays, just chest x-rays, they'll come back to me and then I'll send them back and forth. So sometimes it's not just one of us. Right. And there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of variation in veterinary medicine, a lot of variation and cost too. I mean, mm-hmm. something in urban Denver is going to cost a lot different from everywhere else. <laughs> you know, everything varies. So I kind of see myself as a partner too with the owner. You know, what do you what do you need? Do you need to talk about euthanasia? Do you need to talk about pain medication? Do you need to ask me why this costs so much at the oncologist and what this is? Like, mm. what is an MRI? Why do they want all this money for an MRI? I can help you. I mean, I don't have that much time. I don't have endless time, but I have enough time to help you, especially if you let me do emails. But it's confusing and it's scary. So I think being flexible and seeing what's available, what are you comfortable with, and just having an open dialogue with the vet and the client is 
probably the best scenario that you can come up with and giving each other grace again and yourselves and, you know, realizing this is hard for everybody. This is hard on us too. And we're happy to do it, but it's hard. Yeah. And we want to help. We really, really do. If we had magic wands to give to veterinarians, they might wave it over that tumor. I would take it. (laughs) I would definitely take it. Right. Or a crystal ball. That's the other thing Uh. that sometimes I wish I had. (laughs) Both of those. And I would be so set. (laughs) So you could be called Dr. Fairy Godmother. Yes. Oh, that would be fun. (laughs) I could do that. I could wear a sparkly dress all day long. Um, Can I tell you something my friend said? Yes, please. I don't think she made it up. Maybe she did. She's a genius. She's a a GP in Albuquerque, but she said, I don't save lives. I postpone death. (laughs) And I was like, oh, DC, that's deep, dude, because none of us are promised anything. And so you take that day and you make that day the best day for that dog you can. And then you make that day the best you can for yourself and you give yourself grace and get up and you go. There you go. That's what you do every day. And then tomorrow you do it again. That's the best you can do. Well, Dr. Mom, Dr. Lauren, Dr. Barrow, thank you so much for this conversation. I hope that everything goes well with your son. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you were able to and willing to join us today, given what's going on with your family. And I also want to just make a note for our listeners that that's what it takes sometimes to get through cancer, right? We are more resourceful sometimes than we understand that we think we are. Well, and I think when you have to face something hard for someone else on someone else's behalf, you find a strength that you didn't really know that you had. And thank you, listener, for joining us today and taking part in this very important discussion. I don't think I could repeat Dr. Lauren's advice too often to give yourself grace and give your vet grace And give, I don't know, your dog grace and everybody in your life grace because you've gone through one of those before and after moments. One of those moments that it'd be wonderful if we could avoid, but most of us can't, where our life changes and it changes permanently. And we can look back at a time and say, my life was different before that moment and it's never been the same since. And when we go through those times and we deal with the aftermath of those before and after moments, we require grace. And sometimes we're the only ones who can give it to ourselves. As Dr. Lauren pointed out, not just as a veterinarian who helps people's dogs with cancer, but also as a mom to a child with a brain tumor. It's really important to remember that sometimes it's just day to day. It's just one foot in front of the other. And it's really taking the time to give yourself grace and not make it all about you and not take responsibility for things that just aren't your responsibility. Do the best you can, and that's all that you need to do. If you are looking for more resources so that you can do the best you can, you can always go to dogcancer.com where we have lots of information, not only on financial resources, but also on everything else related to dog cancer. And of course, join our dog cancer support group. That is a wonderful place to talk through these issues and get perspectives from other people who are going through the same thing. Sometimes when you talk to someone who's even just six months ahead of you in the cancer journey, they can give you a perspective that you don't have in your current mindset, and it can really help you kind of skip ahead. It's really useful. 
So dogcancersupport.com, or if you want to go to Facebook directly and type dog cancer support into the search bar, we'll come right up. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Molly Jacobson, and from all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm wishing you and your dog a warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. 